Sholem Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Saul Dreyer and Reuven, Ruby, Sosnowitz, the founding members of the Holocaust Survivors Band. Their Florida-based band was founded in 2014 and has quickly become an overnight sensation. They began playing at venues including local synagogues, flea markets, retirement homes, and now they're fielding bookings from around the globe. These two guys are really busy these days, so finding time when they were both able to be in the same room for a call was not an easy task. So via phone today, I will first be visiting with Saul, the band's drummer. Um, He'll be on the line from his home in Coconut Creek, Florida. And then we'll be talking with keyboard player Ruby at his home in Delray, Florida. Welcome, Saul. It's delightful to have you here with us on the phone today. Um, And I wondered if you could... Tell me a little bit about what led you to form the Holocaust Survivor Band. Very simple. Here we go. go. Last year, either in beginning of February or beginning of March, I don't remember the date, the, the, the month and the date, I walked out in the morning, must have been around 6.30, 7 o'clock, and before I got dressed, I went to my computer and listened to the Jerusalem Post. Mm-hmm. In all but a sudden, I see an article, a pronounced woman, a piano player by the name Mrs. Somers, lives in England, London, England, and she just passed away. She was a Holocaust survivor. She was 110 years old. She perished. One of the concentration camps, the stud in Czechoslovakia, with her son because she was a pronounced piano player. And also, uh, she won uh, the, the prize, uh, how you call it, in Norway, the, uh, oh, oh, my God. She won one of the prizes, too. The Peace Prize? For playing piano, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Now, the German used her for one reason. She used her only because whenever the Red Cross came in to check out how they treat the prisoners and the Jews and the gypsies and everybody, they showed the, they showed the best picture they could, and she was playing the music to show that that we that the Jews entertain them and everything is uh, okay. Now, when she passed away, and I read this article, I got a little bit, uh, you know, emotional. Mm-hmm. So it was seven seven fifteen. My wife just woke up, and I went. I, called, I went to her, to the bedroom. Mrs. Clara, I just saw something very interesting on the computer. I I saw a woman, 110 years old, passed away. She was a pronounced piano player. Me being a musician, I felt I felt, you know, very touched about it. And I said, I would. I came with the idea, and during the half an hour, the the, the time that I'm listening to the computer and to my wife, half an hour passed away. In between, I came with the idea, me to put together a Holocaust survivor band. So I told my wife, and I told her what I want to do. She told me I'm crazy. Simple as that. I kept my mouth shut and say no one word. A few days later, it was Shabbos, Saturday. I went to the synagogue, uh, you know, for the services. After the services, like occasional, uh, you know, casually, I went to my rabbi. I said, Rabbi, I got a story to tell you. And I told him the same story to my wife. He said, Sal. You're going to be 90 years old. It was last year. I was 89. I'm going to be 90 next month. So I tell you the story. You're 90 years old. You're retired already, 17, 18 years. What do you need for? You're crazy to me. 
and this got me. He says, two people tell me crazy. I says, no, I'm going to just do the opposite. And I says, I'm going to do it. Whatever happens, happens. Now I'm done. I need musician. I have to put this thing together. I had a friend that lived, uh, moved into his system, Bocaraton, very close. And he had somebody that taught him play accordion in Brooklyn many, many years ago. And I tell him the story. I says, Alex, I tell you the truth. You know, I told him about Mrs. Summers. I would like to put together a Holocaust survivor band. Maybe you know some Holocaust survivor musician. He says, I tell you something you won't believe it about. There's a Cafe Europa in South Florida. And twice a year, they've got a luncheon. And they invite a guy that plays accordion and keyboard. It looks to me that he, he looks like he's a survivor. He sings Polish. He sings uh, Jewish songs, Hebrew. Uh, you should look him up. I says, Alex, Alex, you have to help him. How can I look him up? I don't know even his name. He says, wait one second. I'm going to call another friend of mine who is who put together, he's putting together the lunches, and he's going to give me the number. He gave me, uh, he called, called me, he says, call Henry Reich, who lives in Boca, He's also a friend of mine. He gave me the number of this Ruby Sosnovitz. And he says he's the guy that entertains them once or twice a year, all the Holocaust survivors, they got a gathering. Meanwhile, before I called up Ruby Sosnovitz, I went out to a, to a store, to a music store, Sam Ash, one of the biggest, and I got myself a set of drums. On the spot, I bought them. With, with everything, and I spent about close to $1,000, and I put it in my car and brought it home. I brought it home. My wife looks to me like I'm a crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> he left. He's not funny. He says, well, you're going to hold this living in a condominium. I said, don't worry. I'm going to put it in storage. I didn't want cop to feel bad. But, you know, a few pieces here, a few pieces there. And I, and I assembled the whole uh, drums. Then I pick up the phone. This was on it. Thursday morning, I some of the, the drums Wednesday. I called Thursday morning, and I call up this guy Ruby, and I tell him Ruby. I tell him the whole story, and he tells me I would be very interested. How about we should meet? So I says, give me your address. I gonna grab my car and call, come to you. He lives in Delray. I live in Coconut Creek. It's about half an hour by car maybe. And I said I made with him appointment for twelve o'clock right after lunch for one o'clock. I grabbed my car. Now, I had the telephone number. Going to Ruby, I want to make sure I take his telephone number. So I copied from my calendar. And somehow I copied wrong. One number I missed. Instead of put a two, I put a four. I don't remember. And I don't ask no question. I run in. He lives in a gated community in, uh, in uh, how you call it, in Delray Beach. I come in. The guy asks me, whom are you looking for? I give him the number. He says, we haven't got such a number. He says, I'm sorry, I can't let you in. But hang around, maybe I'm going to ask somebody, maybe they're going to find that they're trying, they're trying. I pull my car, hang around for 15 minutes, and I go to the guard. I said, mister, what did you figure out? He says, we can't find a Sosnovitz here. I don't know who they are. I'm sorry. So I got disgusted. I went home. I went home. I came home, and I, I matched the two telephone numbers. And I see one, the one that I took with me is wrong. So I'm not bashful. I pick up the phone and call Ruby. I said, Ruby, I was there. 
I apologize to you. I took the wrong number. I didn't ask you to call the guard to let me in. And I took on my own, and I screwed up, and I had to go home. She made with me an appointment for the following day, which on a Friday. She's got a daughter. She lives with them together, and I didn't know nothing about it. I take a few pieces of drum, I put it in my car, and I take a ride. And I came to him Friday. They let me in, and I walk into the house, and I saw them on the sofa. I see he's got accordions, he's got a keyboard with speakers, with a few guitars. I, do, I see he looks like a musician. I sit down by the sofa, I open my, my book and start to tell him who I am and what I want to do. And his daughter listening to the same conversation, she's American-born, but she's first generation. She was so enthusiastic that she says, Daddy, whatever happened, I want you guys to get together. You, you, you're going to do something. I, I got, and I told her that I got some ideas. I told him how I want to approach it and everything. And she suggested to me, as a matter of fact, you're going to be very hard for you to find Holocaust survivor musician because they're dying by the minute. But she said, between us, we're going to at least be able to find out Holocaust survivor poised generation. And she says, I'm the poised one. Even though I work as a dental technician, I do think. So I says to Ruby, I says, Ruby, we got an orchestra already. We got a trio. She says, you're right. We, you're going to play the the keyboard and accordion, I'm going to play the drums, and we got to sing it. Now we're going to look for some people. And all of a sudden, one after the other, before I start bed with Ruby, in between the two common later to put this everything together, I made a little concert in my synagogue, so I hired some musicians. You understand? Right. Among the musicians was one guy from England, from London, that he, a guitar, a bass guitar player, and I asked him, I said, Jeffrey, tell me something. What is your background? So he tells I came to the country this day and day. My mother was a Holocaust survivor. She passed away. She was living in London, England. So I said, Jeffrey, you're going to pit our, our orchestra because, you know, I can't get all Holocaust survivors. So, and I hired him. So we had already four. Then I found another Holocaust survivor man in South uh, in South Florida, that he plays saxophone clarinet, except he didn't know nothing about Jewish music. He only knew about, he came from South American countries, he played only Spanish music. So he just, whenever we had that concert, we went, he went with us and he played, he followed us, you understand? Mm -hmm. And I had the orchestra, but the commodity was me and Ruby. And all of a sudden, we made, I, yeah. And then I went to the newspaper and told them the story, what I'm trying to do with a friend of mine. And the newspaper was very interested. It was the Jewish Journal of South Florida. And they pulled the article about me. When they pulled the article about me, I'm the bottom, I said, I, the post concert I'm going to make as a Holocaust survivor band, I'm going to make sure we don't charge. I want to make sure that people know that we are legitimate. You understand? Mm-hmm. And I made that concert in my synagogue, in a big hall. The hall takes maybe 700 people besides our sanctuary. And they're renting the, 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 the Hebal deal with a Brazilian church. I went to the, I went to the pastor and I told him what I want to do. He says, you, you pay me for the, 
for the building you pay me uh, for the uh, hall you pay me for my uh, for my uh, guy that uh, the sound man and for cleaning up uh, you can have the hall and I put a, they pulled the article in the paper and they pulled the data. Saul Breyer once proved that he's legitimate with his orchestra. The, the, the concert going to be free for free. We packed in 500 people. Wow. And I put on stage seven musicians and we start to play. And it was so beautiful. People were dancing that they want to leave the hall. was more than two hours. And after this, uh, the whole thing took off like a rocket. All of a sudden, we were being booked all over, all over South Florida. And a very religious rabbi got a hold of us and booked us for Sukkot. You know what Sukkot is? Yes. Sikis. Yes. Booked us for Sikis in a, one of the most religious synagogues in, in the Miami Beach on a Sunday afternoon. So we came there with my orchestra, and the sukkah was up and everything, and all of a sudden it started to rain. So instead of playing the sukkah, we had to move inside. So the stage was small, we were cramped, but we gave him a concert. All of a sudden I was giving business cards to people that asked me, and a woman by name Mrs. Margulius came to me. She says, could I have you a card? I said, yes. I gave her my business card, which is somebody going to call you in a few days, and they're going to talk to you about something that you're going to be probably very interested. It was true. A few days later, a man by name Daniel Pilkelman from Brooklyn, a very Hasidic man, calls me up, tells me that he's the producer of a documentary that they're going to, the, the less survivors, and they're looking they're having a big gathering in, uh, in Las Vegas, and they would like to invite us to play with Dudo Fischer in front of him of his concert with our orchestra. So I said, how you know how we play and everything? So he tells me that the lady, the producer, the chief producer of the program, Mrs. Margulius, she heard us playing in the, in the synagogue on 96th Street, and she liked what we, how we played. And she introduced me to a man by name Libovitz that lives in Miami, Miami Beach in the Williams Island. She was a general in Israel. She was a Holocaust survivor, and she's a very successful man. Uh, she was working for the Anchor Bay. That was working. She was she was a spy for Israel. Finally, she uh, she found his brother, sister, the United States. She emigrated to the United States, became very, very successful. And he made an appointment with us. We came to his house. He took us for lunch. And he says, gentlemen, I'm hiring you to come to Las Vegas. All expenses paid. And you're going to be on the same stage with Dudu Piche. And I guarantee you, after this is going to happen, you're going to be well-knowing all over the world. So to me, you know, I went to one year, it goes to another year. Well, he's going to make me a star of the night. So, but I said, you know, I spoke to Ruby, Ruby speak, spoke to Hannah, and they wanted only three people uh, to, to, because they had to pay expenses, pay kids. And, and, and I said, where are we playing? She said, we're going to play in the Venetian Hotel. So I asked me, you know who owns the Venetian Hotel? Yes, I know Sheldon. You know Sheldon, what's his second name? You know, the, mm -hmm. the rich man mm -hmm. that, uh, what's mm -hmm. Sheldon? I forgot the name, second name. It's in the article, you're going to see it. Anyway, we make arrangements, 
and we came to Las Vegas. We came to Las Vegas to the Fisher, ignore us a little bit. We supposed to him to him have a rehearsal. We were waiting six hours. He was busy with himself, with the sound people, with the stage people, with everything. And we went to our room with nothing. Uh, in between, they ordered for us our equipment, my drums, his keyboard. They delivered, and we supposed to have one, two nights before to the Fisher. We supposed to have our own concert. So what happened, the concert became nothing, but in the room that we were gathering, there was a piano. So Ruby sat down on the piano, Hannah one side of the piano, me on the other side of the piano. Fifty people showed up, and we started to sing and dance and everything, you know, and we, because we were not allowed to have music there. Only the piano, you know, it's a special room, a quiet room. Mm-hmm. And following day, they were all very religious, do the fishes from Shabbat, and then we had a, a Friday dinner. So we went to Friday dinner. It happened next door, next table to us was sitting do the fisher with his wife, with her, all his people, uh, and we were sitting at the next table. So do the fisher turns around and calls me up. He says, Mr. Dry, I want to talk to you. I said, go to my head, what's the problem? First of all, I want to apologize that we were waiting six hours and we couldn't have a rehearsal. But, he said, uh, I'm going to play with you without anybody. He says, we're going to start our program. You, Hannah, uh, uh, Ruby, and me. And I'm going to sing. I said, fine. So what do you want me to do? You come all dressed ready for the, for the concert. But, he said, you show up an hour earlier so we can have a rehearsal. Fine. We showed up near Ruby. Ruby brought his accordion. I had my drums on the stage. Everything was ready. There was a little practicing. He stopped everything. And he said, took a bar chair, sit down next to you. And he says, let's start this in this song. We started a Jewish song. The minute we started to play, two pipe, uh, maybe 15, 20 seconds later, stop. I says, oh, brother, we got problems. He says, we don't need a rehearsal. You'll be here 8.30. I'm going to start the program with two, three, then I'm going to go with my, my, mm-hmm. with my stick. I says, fine. We show up. We were all dressed. I was in a tuxedo with a right shirt, ruby, Hannah dressed with a cut-out dress. And you know, Hannah was playing the, you know, the bangos, you know, and I was playing my drums, ruby, and the accordion. Dudu took a chair and started to sing with us. Instead to play with those seven minutes originally, we supposed to be with him, his anchor. He, he was with us on the stage for 20 minutes. We got a standing ovation from 500 people. That's fantastic. Then he took us, so. then he took us on the stage, and he and he bowed with us, him, me, Hannah. It was it was a pandemonium. It was unbelievable. I didn't believe myself. Well, obviously, this the music and all that you're doing really um, it resonates with people. I, I imagine Correct. it's Correct. it's mixed with emotion, and and this right. relates to your childhood. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Now I'm not finished. After that, I got a call from Daniel Filchman after we came home. He says I'm sending a crew to South Florida, and I want to uh, I wanted to take pictures and DVD of you. Because I want to finish the documentary with you and the and the and the less less survivors with your music, with your entertainment, with your everything. 
and she brought that crew that was with us for three years. And the thing you saw in the in the New York Times, that's what the crew did with us in South Florida. That's the end. That's what I. What else can I tell you? Is that enough? It's enough. I, but it's it's an amazing story and it's an inspiration that this, you know, you happen to hear this one radio um, show and look what resulted. Um, it's incredible to know that you and um, Ruby found your way to one another. You were both born in Poland. You yes, survived. Yes. And that at this point in your life, you're able to reconnect and make this music, which is so important. Um, is there one last uh, word about the importance of music or continuing to fulfill dreams that you have such as this? This moves me so much. I Every time I go to a concert, I become emotional. Yeah. And I, I play so enthusiastic. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's an inspiration, and um, we'll play a little bit of your music as we segue out of this interview, if that's okay. Well, I have got nothing to play with. I'm home. <laughs> but we'll take some of the recording, if that's okay. No problem. You can take my our recording. You can use whatever you want. Give you the permission and use that and enjoy yourself. And uh, again, thank you so much for for following through on this and and bringing this to all the people that are so enjoying it. Thank you. So, Ruben, can you tell me a little bit about um, you play the keyboard? And yes. and where I, when I, did this begin for you? How how long ago did you start playing keyboard? I know. Key, I played accordion. Oh, okay. At the beginning was I played accordion, and after I switched to keyboard because it was a little heavy for me, the accordion to carry. Mm-hmm. But usually I am an accordion player. I see. And did you start playing accordion in your youth? Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you see, in the world... Ten years, eight. That time uh, we had, a, we didn't have electric. We had accordions. We we played around with all kind of instruments to make ourselves happy. <laughs> you were born in Warsaw, correct? And Warsaw, yeah. And you spent much of the war hiding in a Polish farm. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, yes. And um. And your love of music goes back to that time in Poland? Yeah, after the war. I mean, in, in, yeah, after the war. And do you do you see Klezmer as a connection to that youth? And do you do, does the music change for you over time? Yeah, what change? I played all kind of music, you know. So what kinds do you play now, um, besides everything, the Everything. everything. <laughs> American, uh, Polish, Russian, Israeli, uh, any kind. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm playing professional. <laughs> um, and your career, how did you get, I guess, first I was going to ask you, how did you get to Florida? Uh, how did I get from Florida? It's uh, from New York, from Brooklyn. I used to live in Brooklyn. And I gather you played in the Catskills during the heyday. Yes, yes, I played all around New York. They know me. Everybody knows me. I used to perform also with Alan King, uh, Carl Chani, and the Jewish Theater. 
Second Avenue. Ah, and how did you meet Saul? Oh, this is a story. He met me. And where did he, he meet? He met me, uh, and that's what we met. Because he asked about somebody to, if he knows somebody, a Holocaust survivor, musician, and happened to be somebody saw me playing here in, uh, in the Jewish Federation, the Holocaust. Uh, I, I played this, and that we got together. And did, did you ever imagine that it would turn out to be such a popular band? No. <laughs> no. So you you played because it was something that connected you to the past, to each other. It was yeah, happy. I played because I love to play music. So you even during your career, you can, um, which I gather you were a, a hairdresser and a photographer and I'm professional music. <laughs> we, we, you know, we do everything to survive. <laughs> Well, um, and again, it's certainly, um, the band is certainly resonating with people. I hear that you're getting bookings from all over the place. Yes. Yeah, um, so you're having a, a, a whole new career evolve, and you are approaching your 90th birthday, is that correct? It's am too late. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not 90. Uh, I just got bar mitzvah. Oh, okay. Uh, two months ago, uh, my daughter made me a bar mitzvah, then I'm 13. Mazel tov. <laughs> um, well, it's great being able to speak with both you and Saul today. Um, I wish you well with all of this, and we certainly hope that maybe someday you'll come to the Yiddish Book Center um, and play for us. Do you speak Yiddish? Yeah, I speak Yiddish. I speak five languages. Wow. That's that's something. Well, you've lived in many places, and yes, um, but, uh, I've been in France, in Paris too after the war, <laughs> and I I spoke Paris and played music there too. <laughs> and the music you play, does it pick up from all of the different places that you lived? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. I've been in Israel too. Wow! And a quick last question for you: Do you have a favorite song? My favorite song, um, all of the songs what I play, it's favorite. Uh, but uh, Washington Kiss with Mandolin, Via Hizorhigain, Exodus, uh, that's in the Jewish belts, uh, you know, all the Jewish, any humane Jewish songs I know. That's great. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And um, we look forward to hearing more of your music. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Sarah Bleichfeld. I'm Lisa Newman. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.